1: Welcome to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wapner. Front and center this hour, the broadening rally, the Russell rising again. Interest rates are moving lower again. We'll debate with the Investment Committee now where your money goes from here. Joining me for the hour, Joe Terranova, Anastasia Amoroso, Jason Snipe, Jim Labenthal. Check the markets. We lost a little bit of steam, as you know. Uh, There's the Dow. It's still positive, not by uh, that much. S&P fluctuating between positive and negative territory. There's the uh, NASDAQ. 411, 10-year. Joe? Rates continue to come down. The rally continues to broaden, but we also continue, as Mike was saying, to digest. Mm -hmm. This massive move that we had in November, it seems to be, you know, keeping us in some respects from from moving much further than we got in November.
2: Well, I think a lot of the work uh, that needed to be done From portfolio managers and those that were chasing the performance if you would has already been done Uh, in a lot of the conversations i'm having with money managers in the financial services industry they're indicating their activity is beginning to decline what's interesting is one money manager said to me the only thing that pulls me back in is if in fact we have a communication pivot from the Federal Reserve at the upcoming meeting, that could be a circumstance in which you see the market break out further to the upside. Part
1: of what, part of what you're saying is like those who have wanted to chase
2: are have are, have already chased. They've already I mean, chased. they're already in. I mean, I know so myself who's left. I know myself personally. I've done that. Um, I, I think all the... The, the the money market people. No, are they the only ones who are left. No, no. I think I think at this at this point, uh, I think what you'll see is those that want to begin to rotate. Ahead of what might be coming in January, going from a lot of the quality businesses where qualitys outperformed this year into maybe some of the not non-profitable businesses, I think you'll see some hedge funds get a little bit ahead of that. But I don't, <clears throat> I don't see much activity unless we get that communication pivot from the Federal Reserve. It looks to me like we're in a little bit of a holiday mindset. Markets are choppy, trade and fade. Anastasia,
1: um, Barkley says you know. To our point, FOMO has pushed equities up far and fast, but now they may face a reality check. Mm -hmm. But they still believe the path of least resistance remains to the upside. What do you think?
0: Look, I mean, the reason why this has been an everything rally is because, as you point out, everyone got into this market. And yes, it is hedge funds that have added to positions. Yes, it's systematic investors that have added to positions. And then you look around at some of the retail sentiment. And for example, the AAII bears—they're basically non-existent. They're to the lows of July 2021 levels. So I think everybody did get a near-term, and that's got to me means a very different setup for December than we had for November. So that means digestion. That means probably some market consolidation lower and look I agree with Joe that the next uh, week's event the Fed meeting is pivotal but I think the risk is binary because I would argue a lot of argue that Powell was not hawkish enough but will the dots be hawkish enough? Because the last time we looked at the dots, they called for only the rate cut to only 5.1%, not 4.2% or so that the market is expecting. So I think near term, the risk is lower. But then to your point, Scott, you know there's trillions of dollars of cash in money markets. And I think what people are now realizing is the market tends to move higher six months ahead of the rate cut. So I think we are at some point going to pre-trade that.
1: You know, Jason, City suggests that the positive sentiment might be short-lived. Um, positioning remains net short. New shorts are being added. You know they like quality growth, but you know how do you think we're set up for the end of the year? Granted, we're only talking about three weeks. Let's start there, right? Because it's skewed by what happened in November. I mean, it probably right. was a dramatic pull forward right. in performance in, in everybody rushing into the market in November.
3: There's no doubt about that. So I, I would say, you know, without a doubt you know, we had this magnificent um, move in November. And I think what, what you're seeing is absolutely what, what Anastasia just said. I think there's some con- consolidation without a doubt that's happening throughout the, the early part of this month. I don't think, um, you know, next week's Fed meeting is going to have a real tremendous impact on what's happening going forward because I think the rhetoric will be consistent on what we've already seen throughout the year um, but I do think, as it relates to the trillions of dollars that are in money markets, again, if you're getting paid 5%, 4% to 5% on cash, and you've seen the S&P grow at 20%, and you're looking to next year with the Fed out of the mix, I do think um, there's some bullish sentiment
1: that's still let to be unlocked. And I think that's where, that's where I think some of the capital is going to come from. What about instead of, you know, Jason used the word consolidation. I mean, we've seen a rotation. Mm-hmm. Um, how about this stat from Bespoke Today? In the Russell 2000's history since 1978, there have been only 16 other times that it went from oversold extreme to overbought extreme in 30 trading days or less. I mentioned how, you know, there was a point this morning where the Russell was quote unquote surging. Now it pulled off a little bit. but. That's where really the action has been of late, Jim.
4: Um, Exactly. And my response, as most of our responses are, is colored by my portfolio. And so I'm looking at what's performing today. If you look at the S&P 500, you're not feeling so good. But if you're in small caps, if you're in the equal weight S&P 500, if you're basically outside of the mega cap tech that's done so fabulously well this year, It's actually a pretty good day, and it's been a pretty good week, and it's been a pretty good month. Mm -hmm. Um, So I I think what's happening here is that long-awaited rotation. Now, I will be the first, and I will be quick to say that rotation calls in the past have turned out to be folly, and I've made plenty of them. And maybe it's for that exact reason that nobody's really, really strongly banging the drum here that new leadership is taking hold, because to do so, again, might be folly. But boy, it feels that way to me. Like new leadership is taking hold. Confirmation of that, Scott and viewers, I think has to come from the data over the next week. Payrolls, not too, not too hot, not too cold. CPI, you definitely want that coming in softer. And then, as everybody else referred to, the Fed, the dot plot. You know, you need all these things to come in and confirm that leadership rotation.
1: Yeah, is it too early to to say that we have new leadership? You have new near-term leadership, which, which is obviously what we've had. I'm looking at the, at the Russell, for example, in the last month is up near 8%. So it's yep. been the outperformer relative to the other major indices. However, it's probably a little too soon to suggest that this is going to be some sort of lasting thing, no?
0: I actually don't think so. And, you know, the Russell is up a lot. I'm also looking at the Goldman Sachs non-profitable tech basket. It's up about 9.3% for the, for the month so far. And I don't think it's too early because this year was about knowing, investing what you know in which is big tech which was providing kind of a hiding spot money markets and maybe some private credit but that's about it but when I look around into next year when I think about the Fed may actually cut rates that lifts a lot of boats and if you look at the sectors that tend to perform again in the six months leading up to the first rate cut that's a lot of sectors that's an everything rally so I do think to Jim's point that maybe now is the time to start making that call that this rally is going to broaden and look that's exactly what investors have been doing pre prepositioning for in the last week or so.
1: Joe, I mean, Goldman's trading desk says as much. They say that hedge funds have aggressively yep. reduced net length in mega cap tech stocks.
2: They're getting ahead of a trade. Look, I have a very strong degree of confidence that what's ahead of us in the month of January is the rotation that we're all talking about, where you're going to see um, funds and speculators selling off winners in quality selling off winners and mega caps why they're not going to sell them off now for the tax consequence they're going to wait till january no, but why would they're going to sell- rotate well, why would you sell those because to they're begin going with to, they're going to rotate it's it's a mean reversion trade it's a very popular trade it's a mean reversion trade that generally happens yeah. at the beginning of the year seasonals have worked remarkably well if you study seasonals if you buy the russell in the middle of december you're getting ahead of the seasonally strongest period for the Russell. That's from January through Valentine's Day. What are you so, going to sell out of? you going to sell out so, of
1: Apple when it's going to three, it's it's back back above three trillion in market well, cap. I'm not, not going
2: to sell I'm just saying, I mean I'm not, I'm
1: not, not talking about you, bit. I'm talking about the collective you. You're going so, to sell Microsoft as it, you know, is around in these new highs keep, and it's where the action going, is in AI. I listen, You're I sell, going, you sell Alphabet where they've got a new announcement again
2: related to AI. You're going to sell NVIDIA. So now I'm, I keep going back to what Mike Santoli said the other day, the crowded and the neglected. The crowded are the names you're talking about, and you're going to reduce ownership of the crowded to move into the neglected. Here's where I disagree with Jimmy and somewhat disagree with Anastasia. I do not think we are at an inflection point for leadership. You do not have an inflection in leadership when you have performance and momentum strong over the course of three or four weeks. That doesn't defeat the leadership that's been in place for the better part of the last 12 months. What defeats the leadership is actual earnings growth, and the Russell doesn't have the earnings growth right now. You need that, you might get it in the second half of 2024, but I think it's, I think it's a false start in January and February if this rotational trade unfolds. Not only
1: like that, Jason, you know, look, if there is any kind of rotation, um, you have to believe that a pullback in mega caps is gonna be bought. Right. Like it has every single time, which means that you may maybe a further rotation into these neglected, if we want to use that word, area never materializes. Right. You could you just have everything if if the coast is clear, so to speak, you could have kind of everything in the market go up. But that mega cap is going to go up more. That money comes in from money markets. Right. Not for out of mega cap and into these other areas either.
3: Yeah, so I, I, I completely agree with that, Scott, because one, obviously, listen, the breath has been extremely narrow this year. We've talked about that all throughout this year. Um, I do think... To, to, to Joe's point, from a positioning standpoint, there will be some allocation to other areas, the neglected areas, without a doubt. But I think, in, in fact, it's more about trimming. It's not selling these names because I think growth is still in vogue. I think yeah. even even the notes that we all see, it's all about quality growth. I mean, quality that growth. is right. It's quality that's the magnificent. That's step. what we're talking about. Quality yes. growth. Yes. So I, I I think the theme, the the idea that we're going to push away
1: or move away from these names is not going to. Be Plus enough, quality. Right? I mean, they're defensive too. Right, Right? so you're getting quality growth, you're getting defensive, you're where the action is. Why's yeah, I won't change? argue against
4: any of that. That's absolutely true. I think I'm going to paint this scenario, and it's what I believe is going to happen. I can't guarantee it's going to happen, but let's say we start getting that selling Joe that you're talking about in the mega cap tech. Rotation. Of, yeah, Rotation. Yeah, no, no, no yeah. gotcha. That mean yeah. reversion trade. Mm-hmm. And Scott, what you said, and it makes sense, right, that, that people are going to buy the dip. My hypothesis to the group and to the audience is maybe you don't get that buying, okay? Because maybe, I know, I see Joe's eyebrows just raised. <laughs> uh, because happen. maybe, because maybe what happens is this market momentum that you're starting to see in the unloved sectors actually catches people's attention, that you combine that momentum, which has been slowly picking up with good valuation, with good prospects for earnings growth in a soft landing scenario. And people say, maybe I'll go there. You better hope that doesn't happen.
1: You better hope that doesn't happen. You got into (laughs) Nvidia late. That would be your worst but, nightmare for a stock like that, is if you get selling in that name I, and then what it's I, not
4: bought. Okay, but w- that's not exactly what I'm portraying because what, what I no, think No, I you know
1: d- it's not what you're portraying. That's what I'm portraying. I got Is you. that but, if you get selling in some of the highest-flying names, like NVIDIA— Right. Right? That, you don't want that to happen. So,
4: but let me respond, okay? Because let's take NVIDIA, let's take Apple, let's take Microsoft. Mm-hmm. Forward earnings on these names, roughly 24 times on Amphidia. Uh, roughly 30 times on Apple. Roughly 32 times on Microsoft. I'm saying to you, those are not valuations at which some trapdoor is going to open and you're going to see these stocks down at, you know, high teen valuation. I just don't see that happening. However, could you see just a rotation out that knocks these stocks down 10 15 20%? Sure, I'm underweight these names. I could add to them there. But I'm not predicting a disaster in these stocks. There is, outside of the Magnificent Seven, roughly 75% of the yeah, S&P I mean, 500 that could be bought. you just said 10 black.
1: 15 20%. That That's a disaster in these it's stocks, happened. is it not? It's
4: happened. it's happened in the last few months, right? Where did Apple go from roughly 194 to 168? I'm doing the math really quickly. But what is that? What is that, about 15%? Yeah, and it was bought.
1: And it, and that's why it's at 194 now, and, 193. And, nobody, and back, nobody's back panicking It's
4: it's not a bad year. And by the way, at the same time that that happened, I'm so glad you just pointed this out, because at the same time that that happened, what's rallied? Small caps, average uh, uh, equal weight S&P 500, i.e. the average stock. The scenario that I'm portraying is actually a continuation of what the last couple of months has seen. Can,
0: can I just agree with Jim on this a lot? I think what's happening right now is trimming. He, you know, and if, 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 by the way, the Goldman note that you referenced earlier, Scott, said that the last 15 out of the last 17 sessions, the, bit, the Magnificent Seven were sold. You know, and yes, of course, they've pulled back or consolidated. Uh, but at the same time, I think investors really want to go into the next year with something with a better idea than saying, let's buy the dip in Magnific- Magnificent Seven. And there's a lot more opportunities. Opportunity to step in and buy things that haven't performed. For example, that unprofitable tech trade that I was talking about, it is down 54% since the peak that we saw in 2021, the NASDAQ is maybe roughly flattish. So there's a lot of catching up left to do. And so yes, that basket has rallied 30%, but it is still down quite a bit. And if I think about who is the ultimate beneficiary of a rate cut, those are the junkier companies, the lower quality companies that just didn't have a chance in this rate environment.
1: That's why why non-profitable tech has been one of the best places to be from November as rates went from on the 10-year 5% to 4.11, wherever they are now, because the ARK Innovation Fund is coming off its best month of all time. So if
2: we could stay on rates for one minute, you asked a great question yesterday. I didn't give you an answer. I punted on it, but you said, what happens if the 10-year goes below 4%? Well, I did a little work. I spoke to a lot of people in fixed income, and I said, okay, when you're looking quantitatively at the, uh, the shape of the curve, and you look at the 10-year and see where you are, if you flow, go below 4%, does that imply that you will see inflows of capital into risk assets like equities? And the reply that I got, which is very interesting, I didn't even realize this myself, they said, if you go below 4% a 10-year, you are closer to the bottom of the yearly range than you are to the top. Think about that for one second. The bottom of the 10-year this year is 3.24. The top is 5.01%. You go below 4%, you're closer to the bottom, which indicates a lot of quantitative funds that follow that will move away. They will move away from treasuries
1: into risk. Well, the the other problem, Jim, is that if you have rates continue to go down, it may be deemed they're going down for the wrong reason at this point, not because inflation is coming down, which it is, but because the economy is slowing and there's worry about that you look at some of the economic data of late uh... it hasn't exactly been gangbusters adp was below expectations now wage uh... growth is slowing which is pushing yields down further so it's a mishmash of stuff you're putting in and trying to draw some sort of you know summation from
4: it, it, you're exactly right and to add to what you just said it's actually getting a little dangerous okay so we're, we're getting down to those levels in payroll growth where I'm getting a little uncomfortable now I maintain my enthusiasm both for the economy and the stock markets but as we look forward to uh, the labor report on Friday you know l- look this this thing is coming closer and closer to zero and that's not something the markets I think is real are really going to like yes the markets want a soft labor report but they still want to grow growing labor report you don't want the hard part of the hard landing to come back into the vernacular of any commentary and if you get close to zero on a payroll growth month over uh, on a monthly basis i think that has to come back into the vernacular so to the point, and you're talking about ADP report coming in a little soft, and the number was 103,000. That's not a big number. So people like me, who are bullish, are not unaware that there is danger out there that this slows down too much.
1: Yeah. Well, one of the better performing names in the market today, we haven't talked about yet, it is related to tech. It is AMD. They got a new chip, and they're looking to take on Nvidia. Christina Partzenevoulos joins us now from San Jose with more on this story. What do we know?
5: Well, just like you said, this is about proving that AMD is a suitable competitor to NVIDIA's H100 chip used to power large language models. But when compared with NVIDIA's H100 chip, AMD's version, the MI300X, does have more bandwidth and memory capacity and also operates on open open source software. NVIDIA chips need to operate on its own CUDA software. But NVIDIA's software is more commonly used, which means higher switching costs and could lead to a slower AMD uptake for new customers. AMD estimates AI data center will bring in about $400 million in Q4 this present quarter with $2 billion next year that's specifically geared towards their MI300 chips. Investors will be looking for details on whether that $2 billion threshold will increase today. So a few things to keep an eye out for uh, this big event that's happening. Everybody's in the other room right now. It's still early uh, right now on East uh, West Coast time, I should say. But who are AMD's partners? Which hyperscalers will take to the stage and show that they are now buying from AMD, not just NVIDIA? Any increases to the MI300 2024 estimates and performance mes- metrics, especially when you compare to uh, NVIDIA's H100? All
1: right. So at, at this afternoon, 430, right? Elisa Sue is going to be on the network giving an interview about, about all yes, this. I'll be in- be you'll be on there with that
5: yeah well i'll be speaking with her and that's going to be definitely uh, some of the topics you know the comparison the pricing china export controls given that nvidia has already warned you know it would significantly impact q4 AMD's you know remained a little bit more quiet but that's because they don't do as much business with china uh the specs and especially the open source open source software here and then lastly the partners that's a big deal which partners are already going to buy AMD products and integrate it into their systems, as opposed to just using NVIDIA?
1: NVIDIA CEO speaking of Jensen Wong, he's in Singapore, right? What's what's he reacting? Right. Uh, has he had any reaction to this yet?
5: Not necessarily to this event per se, but he did comment on U.S. export controls, and this is just after Secretary of Commerce Gina Raimondo on Sunday said. Indirectly to Nvidia that she would control any chips uh, that have been rebalanced or rejigged to provide AI uh, to China, so she was pretty aggressive about that. Nvidia said they're working with the United States on those thresholds. They're falling within those thresholds, so that's what Jensen said uh, just over the uh, past few hours. And the second point he made, which I found really interesting, is he said Huawei is a very formidable competitor. That is putting Huawei on a higher pedestal. Huawei was able to create AI chips with older U.S. equipment. What does that tell us if they've already been able to advance so much so that the, the CEO of NVIDIA is saying they're a very formidable competitor? What does that mean for this market, you know, two years from now, when you have all of these new entrants from hyperscalers to AMD, NVIDIA, uh, et cetera, joining in and taking some of that market share?
1: Christina, we'll look forward to your interview uh, with Lisa Sue later today. Christina Pretzenevelos out in San Jose for us. You know, Jim, It feels like it's NVIDIA, AMD, Broadcom, and then the also-rans, but Bank of America today says Qualcomm's the top pick for it because they are a key beneficiary of AI
4: got to pat my, my fellow here <laughs> on the back. He's, uh, he's with me in that. Um, yep. There are some growing indications that the bottom really is in, in semiconductors, and I'm talking about outside of AI, the more cyclical stuff, mobile phones, PC. You're, you're getting more and more indications from both companies and from uh, trade organizations like the World uh, Semiconductor Trade Statistics Organization. It really looks like the bottom's in. Now, folks, as I say this, look, when a bottom forms, it doesn't form in a V usually, okay? So there may be some noise down here at the bottom, but barring a sharp contraction in the global economy, these are the sort of stocks that should perform well going forward, are the more cyclical types of semiconductors, like a Qualcomm, congratulations, Jason, like an NXP semiconductor, which is uh, obviously tied to um, uh, automobiles, but also Internet of Things. But these more generic semiconductor companies should do well going
1: forward. You want to talk about Qualcomm? Yeah, and and AMD, I mean, lack of ownership, looking at it. What's your
3: story? Yeah, so I think I think to, to Jimmy's point, I think. What the big part for me on Qualcomm? I think handsets are bottoming, so I think they're back on the way up. I think IoT has, is is also moving as well. Autos, I think is is they're st- they're really starting to diversify their revenue over the last few years, and I think that's where the opportunity is there. Um, it's a cheap stock. I mean, a lot of a lot of these. Uh, semiconductor stocks are very expensive, right? So 10 times earnings, roughly, right? Um, and it's up 14% in the last three months. So and it's up only 18% for the year. Uh, so I think this this is this is this is a very positive development. I think also the the uh, the move in Foxconn, Foxconn, you know, the manufacturing for the Apple phones. I think again that speaks to the, the advantages Qualcomm will have going forward. Got something real quick?
2: Real quick. Personally, I do not want to chase the semis. I think the potential is there that in Q3 and Q3 we saw a little bit of a peak in terms of earnings growth. I could see a deceleration as you move into uh, the early part of, of 2024. And it's kind of consistent of w- with what I believe. I just believe from the general sense uh, of, as you pointed out before, the economy. I think the economy is going to slow. That's going to affect risk. And Q1 is probably your weakest quarter of the four quarters in 2024. All
1: right, we're going to take a break. We'll come back. We'll do our chart of the day. It's a big pop for a big bank. Jim owns it. We'll get his take plus how the rest of the committee is playing the
2: financials. We're back in just two minutes. Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one, which means we do the little things right so that we can keep our promises and you can keep yours too. That's what drives us. To learn how OD can help your business keep its promises, visit odfl.com. Old Dominion helping the world keep promises.
1: All right, we're back. City is our chart of the day. It's rallying today after it said it's going to buy back roughly five hundred million dollars worth of shares in Q four. Um, so revenue expected to be at the lower end of guidance. Right, we know that. Expenses down in aggregate. What's your take on this stock that you own?
4: Um, well, I'm happy to hear the buybacks. And that's a central part of the story at Citigroup. But it's also been in question recently because some of their capital ratios, there's been a concern that maybe they wouldn't buy back as many shares. So you get news like this, and you like it. Uh, however, it's also gravy on the overall meal that uh, Ms. Frazier, Jane Frazier, the CEO of Citigroup, is serving us up, which is that she has finally addressed the low return on equity uh, at Citigroup by cutting costs. And in the last several months, you've seen the stocks stock rise about 19%. That's primarily because they're cutting five layers of management. And I just want to think about that for a second. Five layers of management? I mean, how many layers of management were they? This is kind of incredible. Um, Ms. Frazier got absolutely no honeymoon when she took over uh, the helm about two and a half years ago. Um, she first wanted to right-size the bank with regards to getting rid of international operations. I think that's mostly done right now. Still a little Mexico situation to deal with. That will take time. However, she's doing all the right things now, cutting costs getting the buybacks going
1: um i like to see the surge in the shares here what do you think anastasia about the sector which is tracking for its sixth straight weekly gain. That's the first time since May of 19.
0: Yeah, it's been a huge rebound for the sector. Obviously, everything that didn't work for it earlier in Q3 was working in November. You've got rates lower. You've got soft landing hopes higher. And, you know, look, financials are going to perform well if we are going into a rate cut environment. Again, looking at the top performing sectors in that six months, you know, red zone, so to speak, it's infotech followed by financials. So they can perform well. But personally, I still have my hesitation because if you think about the sector that is most vulnerable to taking credit losses it is the financials and we know defaults are rising we know delinquencies are rising we know bankruptcies are rising as well and i think that's the sector that has to absorb it is is the financials so if i could have my preference for now i would stick with a cleaner story which i think is tech
1: joe the other thing that's been rising regulations much to um, the unhappiness of the bank CEOs who are down on Capitol Hill again today complaining about it. Yes. Um, How much does that hamper what bank stocks can do from here? The regulations that they themselves are telling you uh, are no good, but they don't seem to be. Basel three doesn't seem to be going away. It's I, I, not I th- going to go away. I
2: believe it's been ham. It's been a, it, it's been hampering uh, financials, and in particular, money center banks for the better part of the last decade. So I, I think it's already impacting them. Um, I think when I look at money center banks, I look towards specifically Morgan Stanley and Bank of America. I have remorse because I liquidated positions that I had maintained for the better part of many years in both of those names. I like the wealth management businesses for each of those entities. I'm looking to get back in I've played J.P. Morgan very well throughout the entirety of 2023, but I wanna be a little bit of a seller of some J.P. Morgan. I wanna go back into Morgan Stanley and Goldman Sachs and the last point on why- do well, you think capital market's coming back? I, well, I like the fact that I think in an environment like we've just witnessed, that their trading revenue, I think, can excel. I think they're better at it. I was a little disappointed to hear the Citibank CFO talk about how because commodities and fixed income you know, opportunities aren't there, that the yeah. revenue down significantly, that's discouraging. It's one of the reasons why I don't want to own City.
4: If I can just really quickly, it's a good point, but I do want to point out that cities really, their crown jewels are security services and treasury doing corporate cash management. And the reason I bring this up is because people a lot of times will compare City to J.P. Morgan. I, I understand they're both
1: big financials. They're really doing different things. Jason Snipe. You own Goldman, which Joe was talking about. Yeah,
3: yeah, yeah. So for me, I think it's it's completely idiosyncratic as it relates to financials. I think, you know, Anastasia makes a really important point on credit quality of the consumer. So for me, I, as rates do come on, I'm, I think it's a bellwether for financials, but in particular, um, it's it's going to be capital markets, so that's why I like Goldman Sachs and some of the IB players because I think that's where um, that's where the yield will come from.
0: I think if you were to buy a call option on financials, you're buying a call option on capital market activity recovering. You know yeah. that was what really didn't play out in the fall of this year as everybody expected. But if you do have rates coming down and capital market activity picking up financials like Goldman and others will certainly benefit a lot.
1: All right. Uh, speaking of financials, we do have a market flash on Blackstone. Uh, it's down sharply. The Blackstone Mortgage Trust. Muddy Waters founder Carson Block announcing a new short position in that REIT just moments ago. Uh, Mr. Block is going to be joining the exchange, and that is coming up, as you know, at the top of the hour at 1 p.m. Eastern. So you'll hear from him. I'll show you there it is, uh, down more than 6 percent. Uh, interesting story developing there. For the other stories that are developing as well, Pippa Stevens joins us with the headlines there. Pippa.
6: Hey, Scott. Wisconsin Trump electors officially named President Biden the winner of the 2020 election. Ten Republicans who signed paperwork falsely declaring Donald Trump won the state in 2020 agreed to revoke their filings as part of a legal settlement. This is the first time pro-Trump electors have agreed to withdraw their false filings. The settlement comes as investigations are underway into Republican electors in three additional States, A grand jury declined to indict an off-duty Alaska Airlines pilot on attempted murder charges. Instead, they charged Joseph Emerson with one count of endangering an aircraft and 83 counts of recklessly endangering another person. Authorities say Emerson was riding as a standby employee passenger on an October flight to San Francisco when he allegedly tried to cut the plane's engines mid-flight. And the indigenous nation that invented lacrosse, the Haudenosaunee Nationals could be allowed to compete when the sport returns at the 2028 Olympics. President Biden is pushing for the International Olympic Committee to make an exception to the rules for the Los Angeles games. The Haudenosaunee have competed as their own team at other international events since 1990. Scott, back to you.
1: All right, Pippa, thank you. Pippa Stevens, coming up our calls of the day, a strong buy for one consumer name. Jason owns it, plus top picks in biotech, industrials. We'll get you those trades when halftime comes right back.
7: B2B selling is tougher than ever, and we feel your pain. If you're struggling to close deals, consider giving LinkedIn Sales Navigator a shot. This sales intelligence platform helps professionals like you engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. That is linkedin.com slash report for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash report and get started.
1: Calls of the daytime. We begin with AutoZone. Upgraded today to Strong Buy at Raymond James. Target to $3,100 from $2,850. So the price right there is kind of bumping up close to that. Jason, you own it.
3: Yeah. Listen, I mean, it was a really nice print. Uh, this past quarter, so I think you know, One of the things that I think that stuck out to me, one, international sales are growing really nicely. I mean, it's only 11% of their business, Mexico being, the, being most of that, they're, they're starting to do business in, in Brazil, which I think is, well, well they're, they're starting to invest there, so I think that's going to grow nicely over, over the next couple quarters. Um, but what I, what I think is the main thing for me is costs have come down for equipment. Equipment costs have come down dramatically, so gross margins are growing really nicely. That's going to be accretive going forward, and that's why we continue to like the stock. Also. The average age of a car is 12 and a half years, you know, so AutoZone is obviously playing that
1: market. Jimmy Deere called a top pick at Oppie.
4: Yeah, I, I still sort of shake my head about how this has become a battleground stock, but I acknowledge that it has. Um, having said that, I think that the company really ripped the Band-Aid off in the last earnings report and level set where earnings estimates should be going forward. I don't think that they took down those, those that guidance as much as they did with the intention of then underperforming. I think they set themselves a very low bar that they, they can clear going forward. I want to point out some things. The valuation here, very forgiving, roughly 12 times forward earnings. Also want to point out, prices have been in decline for quite some time that's actually paradoxically when you want to buy a deer is in the anticipation that they will recover as they always do and that deer will participate
2: as farmer income goes up with those higher crop prices boy i hope jimmy's right <laughs> um, we've owned deer in the the JOT etf since october of 2022 i've owned it as well personally um, i think the ag cycle and I've, I've said this throughout 2023 i think the ag cycle is over we were sellers of Mosaic earlier in the year, back in April. We sold Cortiva as well. This has been the one name that we've held on to. And the reason we've held on to it are all the things that you're citing, which is where you go bottoms up and you look at this company and you go, this is a different type of company. This is a different company in the agriculture business. But it seems to be overwhelmed by the environment, which right now is overly bearish. And if economic conditions worsen, I don't see it improving at any time.
1: Give me something quick on uh, Regeneron while you're at it. Uh, Called a top pick at TD Cow they bumped the target to $1,000 from 900.
2: Yeah, uh, this is a stock that has been uh, in the ETF since January of 2022, so there, there's obviously a very strong uh, gain there. The momentum is beginning to wane, so you have to keep a strong focus on the stock. Revenue growth a little bit weak in the last quarter at 14%. So we might be coming towards the end of the road. Apollo Global
1: reinstated outperform at BMO. I know you own that too, but Anastasia, you've got some thoughts on that price target to 108.
0: Yeah, I think the upgrade or the initiation positively makes sense. And I'm going to speak broadly to the private equity and the alternatives environment. There's a huge secular growth opportunity, of course, as these alternatives managers expand to the wealth management channel. That's the potential for additional flows. But there's also, I think, a cyclical pickup as well, because fundraising across private equity has been extremely slow this year. Um, It's held up only because private credit infrastructure fundraising has been pretty good. But exits have been virtually nonexistent and deal flow has been quite slow. But you fast forward to today, and now the valuations in private markets and private equity have reset by about 20%. I think that is getting some interest in back into the space. So I would suspect that private equity fundraising does improve in 2024. And that obviously bodes well for alternative asset managers like Apollo.
7: All right,
1: quick break. Mike Santoli joins us on the other side of that with his midday word. We're back in just a couple minutes.
2: Are you following the Halftime Report podcast? What are you waiting for? Look for us in your favorite podcasting app. Follow the Halftime Podcast
1: now. Senior markets commentator Mike Santoli joins us now with his midday word. So do you have thoughts on oil? Under 70, yields falling. I mean, at what point do you think the market starts to play this economic worry game again?
8: Yeah, I don't know if there's a a particular price trigger for oil that says that, because it really is so skewed toward uh, supply and and U.S. exports and things like that. Uh, Perhaps uh, yields really continuing to crash from here, not finding support, maybe just above 4% on the 10-year yield. Might get that conversation started. None of that, though, would supersede, I think, what Friday's jobs number will tell us. But I agree we're in that mode where we're more comfortable, I think, about the disinflation side of the equation than maybe we are about growth that's going to be resilient going into next year. So we need probably confirmation on that. And the productivity data today, not that big a fan in real time of these short-term snapshots of productivity. It was obviously a third-quarter number. But that's the way out of all this, because you did see a Big jump in productivity, a drop in labor uh, costs. And that sort of uh, helps you out on both ends of the equation. So
1: what else jumps out to you today? You know, Apple, we said it's above three trillion again. And the, the Russell's
8: outperforming. Mostly, it's just that we got right back to the, uh, you know, to the rotation trade that's in favor of the cyclicals and the majority of stocks. I'm looking at this two and a half week period when the market's gone nowhere. It's really been sideways for that long, hovering just above, just below 4,600 in the S&P and trying to find what it's doing wrong or what it's giving uh, in terms of a fresh cause of concern. I'm not really seeing much, except that it just hit resistance and stopped. Uh, Besides that, it seems like it's doing what you would want to see in terms of responding to an overbought condition and biding its time until we get uh, the more key macro inputs
1: all right good stuff i'll see you a couple hours closing bell mike Santoli, our senior markets commentator coming up we'll have more on the oil sell-off crude as we said below 70 one big player in the space boosting its buyback jim and joe are both in the name the energy trade is next talked about oil falling below 70 well there's exxon ninety-eight uh, 98 it's down two percent so jim they boost the buyback they, they update their production forecast too What does the stock do now that oil seems to be heading in the wrong direction?
4: Well, I think it's clearly tracking the price of oil. I mean, that's an obvious statement to make. So then let's dissect what, what crude oil may do. And, and, you know, Scott, I think about our friend, friend of the show, Mark Fisher, who has said for quite some time it's in a trading range, high 60s to high 80s. He's been right. I think he's going to continue to be right. I mean, this is this is a stage um, at which production starts to get curtailed. You're certainly seeing it from OPEC. You may see it from the shale producers as well. And then the price rises again. And then, you know, demand curtails a little bit. But in the long run, um, I think... I think demand picks up from here the strategic petroleum reserve just absolutely needs to be filled the government should be tendering for many millions of barrels at this price um, i don't know that china demand can get worse i mean famous last words but i don't know that it really can uh, and if this economy our economy skirts the hard landing scenario i think you'll see oil demand further pick up with that should pick up the demand for exxon mobil shares
1: you want to give your comment here you i think you own exxon too but I so do. you you can talk about the stock you can yeah. talk about jim's
2: outlook for oil and demand itself whether you agree with it or not let's talk about positioning let's talk about sentiment because that is actually what i believe matters most right now in energy i said coming into the quarter having an overweight exposure to energy equities that this was a prove it quarter yeah make it or break it i, I I could see it coming, you you're in this business long enough, you see things coming. I know exactly what's gonna happen. Okay, oil's gonna go down. If you're rules-based, which I am, I raise my hand, you follow the rules, at the end of January, myself and others, similar to last year, when everyone got out of the mega caps, everyone's going to pare back their holdings in energy, and then at some point in 2024, you're going to see the energy recovery once again. That's part of the game. If you're rules-based, that, in fact, is what is going to happen, and I see that as right now developing. Everyone's still overweight energy. Everyone can make the strong fundamental argument. You've got excellent. buying back uh, billions of dollars worth of stocks, similar to what Chevron's doing. Look, you want to be an now, fundamental, you want to be an Exxon, right? If let oil's it, going down, buy back the shares. you want to be in. This is a stock you want to be in if oil is going to go if, down.
4: If I take what you're saying as gospel, and I'm, I'm inclined to for the short term, I mean, where's the sentiment on this? It's terrible.
2: But and um, and, and correlate that with positioning. Right?
4: Okay, your point is made, and I will simply say then, God bless the company for buying back twenty billion dollars worth of share annually. I went back and looked at the uh, roughly six years from 2016 uh, to 2021. you know what they averaged in buybacks? 500 million, 500 million. Now they're at 20 billion. God bless them. Go do it, ExxonMobil
0: you know Joe mentioned fundamentals and I think the fundamental case for oil is a little bit weaker than it used to be you know first of all you've got record demand and already and yet oil prices are, f- are falling back and that's because of the supply issue OPEC has and OPEC plus has cut a lot already they are near record spare capacity and yet oil prices are still suffering because there's too much supply coming on from elsewhere so next year you could end up with a situation where we might get some soft softness in demand on the margin and there not be maybe not that much you can do about the supply. The only cure for the supply is going to be lower prices. So I think the case is a little bit weaker fundamentally, but if you can get buybacks, if you can get dividends and energy, I think you keep that at market All rate.
1: right. So financial engineering versus fundamentals, Jason Snipe who owns Chevron and the XLE is Jim smiles over your shoulder.
3: <laughs> <laughs> so a uh, couple things. I mean, one is, you know, I just look back over the last two years. I mean, energy has done phenomenal. So I think this has been the year of consolidation for energy, unfortunately. Um, um, to, to Anastasia's point, I mean, you know, production, supply shocks have, have been a problem. I mean, we're producing 5.7 billion, billion million barrels per day here in America. So that, that supply has obviously affected crude and, and, and where the, a lot of the energy, name, energy names are. But I think turning the, turning the page uh, to 2024, and if we can avert, to Jimmy's point, if we can avert a recession um, or really a material slowdown, I think energy can work, and I think it's kind of a reversion to a mean trade.
1: Faber's got uh, Darren Woods, by the way, uh, tomorrow morning, 9 a.m., on Squawk on the Street. He, of course, the Exxon CEO, so we look forward to that interview as well. Coming up, we're betting on the builders. Home building stocks hitting all-time highs today. We'll find out how the committee's playing the space. We'll do it next. All right, let's talk the builders. They're rallying today. Take a look. Green across the board, DR Horton all time high, Lennar all time high, Pulte Group, Toll Brothers, XHB, ITB,
2: Joe T. Yes, sir. You. You own DR, Lennar, NVR? Yes, is in Joe T. This is where being rules based actually benefits you because sometimes, momentum actually works. And momentum, okay, builds over the course of time, develops into something, not just on a multi-week or multi-month basis, but really on a multi-year basis. Fundamentally, these companies are in tremendous position. Balance sheets are strong, inventories of homes, we know where they are right now in the country. Um, This is clearly for me an environment where in 2024, if you're talking about now, the cost of capital beginning to move lower you've got a lot of people that have been sitting on the sidelines and what I call a transactional recession for residential real estate could actually begin to lift. Anastasia?
0: Look, I think all the points that Joe made are totally spot on. Except. But, well, except, for, except, for I tend to like to look at the contrarian trades, and of course, you've done so great in home builders, but they're almost back to their prior highs. But when I look at IYR, for example, which is more the commercial REITs ETF, it is still down twenty five percent from its from its prior high. So I like that trade because if the Fed cuts rates, you know, cap rates could potentially compress, and real estate prices can potentially rebound. And we've been hearing a. a. A lot of managers in private commercial real estate talk about finding opportunities in some of those commercial buildings.
1: Okay, quick break, come back, we'll do final trades on the other side. Closing bell, 3 o'clock Eastern. Hope you join me then. Liz Young will be with me. Also, Stacey Rascon. On that big announcement today from AMD, ahead of Lisa Su with Christina. Again, that interview is at 4.30. You're going to get the analyst take on what it really means before you hear from the CEO today. Anka Crawford as well. She's got many big tech holdings, including NVIDIA. So let's do final trades. Farmer Jim.
4: Uh, CVS made this my final trade on Monday as well. Had an analyst day yesterday. Very well received. If you look at the chart, this thing goes up another 3% or so, gets above 76, and it is primed to rocket.
1: Okay, Jason Snipe.
3: Into it. This is a play on small business. 50% EPS growth in the last quarter. I like this one. Anastasia, nice to have you with us for the hour. What's your final trade
2: today?
0: Municipal bonds. If the Fed cuts rates, um, yields will go down, bond prices will go up. I think close to 10% return in long-term unis.
2: Joe T. We have Lenar up there. You could have any of the home builders, and I'll actually add into that group Pulte as well, PHM.
1: Marcus going the wrong way. Uh, Dow's about to give up its gains. It's up uh, 10 points or so. You see the major averages here. There's the S&P, which is a fractional loser, as is the NASDAQ. Russell has lost some steam, too. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC.
3: completeness or accuracy and it should not be relied upon as such to view the full halftime report disclaimer please visit cnbc.com
2: forward slash halftime report disclaimer from a flat tire in the city to a dead battery on a distant drive